0: Vineyard Westside welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Come as you are, because we believe that love wins, period. Well, I I would like to do the start of more Sundays like this. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Thank you. you know, the thing is, um, oh, I'm gonna put this like this, there we go. There we go. Oh, there we go, here we go, this way. Let me move these, we'll get it together. There we it's, it's interesting that that came up just because that's, uh, that is what the message is about today. Um, that you know what I'm standing crooked. They're gonna kill me. Do I need to be over here? Am I okay there? All right. Um, just to be on, and th- if you haven't been here before, <laughs> my name's Ryan. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, and I just go back and forth on feeling uh, completely inadequate to be a pastor at this church, and then like I'm walking in my destiny and, uh, living out the thing that God made me to do. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And, um, just to, I don't know, just to be, just to be hit by that is a, um, it's nice. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk today about the good work that God calls us to do. The good work. Um, and the good work looks very different for different people. Um, the good news we're familiar with, right? The good news is what? The gospel. Yes. What is the gospel? That it's the story of Jesus dying on a cross for us in place of us because we were sinners but he paid the price for us he took on the guilt and laid upon the cross died on our behalf was raised three days later and this is the gospel right the good news well here's the weird thing Jesus and his disciples before Jesus was ever hung on that cross Jesus and his disciples went around preaching what the good news well, is the good news him dying on a cross? Is that what he did? He go up to people and say, "Hey, I, I'm dying on a cross soon." No, he kept that secret, right, for as long as he could. But he went around with his disciples, spreading the good news. See, the good news has a good news before the good news. There's a good news before the good news. A good news before the gospel, and the good news before the gospel. It was about the kingdom of God and about people being able to step into their destiny and their calling and their purpose and live out a new, different kind of way of living that was like, okay, normal, regular human living. Let's add a plus 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 advanced mode that we've been given an opportunity to walk in the, the kingdom of God, not just the kingdom of this world, that as we're walking in the natural, that we would be given this opportunity, this ability, this authority, this spiritual way of seeing into the supernatural realm, of being able to walk and see different things that were going on, uh, things that didn't show up in the regular world. Some of you have a gift of discernment in this room. Uh, Some of you have been given this gift by God where you know when people are telling the truth or not. You know when people are good or bad. You know when a a situation comes up and people aren't sure how to take it. You have a knee-jerk reaction and it's typically correct. This is a discernment gifting that you've been given. It's a supernatural thing. It's not a in the natural thing. Now, the good news also is that God will use anybody. Hey, raise, raise your hand if uh, you're the best of the best. Uh, what about the cream of the crop? Uh, wh- uh, first in your class. I mean, we'll do some real, like, star athletes. That, it's okay to raise your hand, too. <laughs> like, first, first in your class, valedictorian, anything like that. Like, hey, ding, ding, we got one. Most popular when you went to school, when you went to college, anything like that? Man, there's not a lot of hands. Well, here's the good news. God still wants you. He uses, he specializes in ordinary people. And the, thing, the only thing that I can say is that I live my life as an ordinary person for the longest time And Jesus got a hold of me and he just kept showing me and kept pulling me and kept pushing me and kept revealing to me that there was more out there for me and that it wasn't just ordinary work anymore, that I could have been an ordinary person, but he takes those people and he makes them extraordinary. The good work is always done by ordinary people. If you want to be a person who is doing the good work, Of the kingdom I would warn you right away that when God uses you and that that becomes a weird prayer you get to a certain place with Jesus and you start praying strange things like God just use me I just want to be used by you but here's what I'll tell you it comes with a cost and when he uses you it's not like pretend it's not it's not it's taxing it costs something every time and you pay a greater price than you can imagine a lot of times it could be pain it could be you know it could be rejection you know i've just been talking with a lot of friends and people lately in different different parts of places of life where uh, you know if they're if they're dating they're on they're on dating apps and things and imagine if you are a believer and you're trying to find another believer and you're going through that whole process and guess what happens <laughs> sometimes pain rejection heartache sometimes loneliness doubt like wh- why am i even do i even really believe this why am i holding to this why am i Discouragement, maybe if I lower my standards, maybe if I quit talking about the God stuff, maybe if I, I, t- I tuck the cross into my shirt, maybe it'll work then. You might end up standing alone when you begin to do the good, the good work. Maybe people won't understand what you're up to. Maybe you're criticized for it or misunderstood or mocked. I know people who've been passed over for job promotions because of the good work that they do for the kingdom. When your sacrifices though end up making a difference, the thing about it is you never worry about the price that you paid. When your sacrifice ends up making a difference for somebody, you see a difference happen in the kingdom of God because of what you did, it doesn't matter what you paid. The world is different because of your work. You took a risk, you made a step of faith and and you obeyed when God called you to something. An ordinary person can do extraordinary things. There's an ordinary person in the Old Testament named Nehemiah, very ordinary guy. And he ended up making an extraordinary difference. Nehemiah, the thing about him though, even though he was ordinary, he had this special thing about him. Maybe he felt ordinary, but I would say he had a specific special thing in that he had a heart for his people. And so he was super empathetic, I would say he was a sensitive one. And so when he heard about what was happening to his people, his heart was broken for them. It says that Nehemiah decided that he wasn't going to sit by any, anymore and just do nothing and just cry about it. He was going to do something. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 2. It says, so they began the good work. So they began the good work. It's an ordinary guy wanting to make an extraordinary difference. Nehemiah is not a pastor. He is not a priest. He's not a prophet. He is not a warrior. He's not a king. He's not anything special. He's just some guy who saw something that bothered him to the degree that he had to do something about it. Bothered him so much he couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't sit by. He was compelled. Have you ever been compelled to do something? I just was. <laughs> Nehemiah, though he is ordinary because of a, a, a long series of, of events, he finds himself, and I believe it's because God was putting favor on him because he, he knew Nehemiah's, not just his heart, but what his, um, what his possibilities were. God knew what Nehemiah's um, potential was. And so, uh, eventually, Nehemiah becomes the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer to the king. This is King Artaxerxes. This king was not necessarily a very good king. This is the king of Persia, and Nehemiah gets this opportunity to be the cupbearer, which essentially is the servant or the butler of the king, but he's the personal servant, the personal butler, the one who tastes things to make sure they aren't poisoned. This person has to be full of integrity. Nehemiah was. He has to be trustworthy. He has to be willing to, like, able to have private conversations and keep them private. The king's business can't be getting out there. Nehemiah has to keep it locked up. And so this would, over time, end up becoming a friendship, the two of them. Eventually, it gets to the point where King Artaxerxes is asking Nehemiah for advice because he keeps showing up wise. He keeps showing up trustworthy. He keeps showing up... This guy knows what he's doing. He has wisdom. The king is asking the cupbearer what to do. So this ordinary guy ends up the cupbearer of the king, and eventually he hears some news that would change the course of his life. In Nehemiah 1, it says, "This Hanani, one of my brothers, came to Ju- came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about this Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem." And so this is Nehemiah asking his brother about something in their history. He says, "Tell me about our people." Do you know about your people? You need to know about your people. You need to know about your people. He says, tell me about my people. Tell me about our homeland. So his brother spells it out that 140 years earlier that the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, they attacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the city. That Solomon's temple was burned to the ground, that every building was in rubble, that the gates were all burned. There was absolutely no protection whatsoever around the city anymore. Everything that they knew was gone. The Babylonians took tens of thousands of Jews captive. They demoralized them, and over time, the Jewish people ended up having this, just this lack of hope for a real future. Decades later... Um, 50,000 Jewish people would move back into Israel or back into Jerusalem to rebuild. Verse three it says, "They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its, gate, its gates have been burned with fire. And so there's, there's no wall to keep people safe. There's no protection. They're, they're vulnerable to attacks. There's no leadership either. There's no direction. For this country, this place, this, this people. No confidence either. Because they had been taken captive before and they barely got out and they moved back. And they're just not confident in themselves. Have any of you been confident at one point in your life and then something happened and you lost confidence? And maybe you never got it back? It can happen. And when you lose that confidence, it can change your whole, it can change Everything. Today we're talking about how do you begin this good work? How do you begin the good work? So the first the first step, if you're a note taker, you want to write this down. This one's real important. Men, you're going to love this one. You have to sit down to cry. Step one, you have to sit down to cry. You have to sit down to cry. Verse four says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Sat down and wept. He was... Nehemiah was devastated. He was broken about what had happened to his people, about what was continuing to happen to his people. Now, for Nehemiah, it would have been super easy for him to just pretend he didn't hear any of it. He lives in the, in the castle. He lives, he is lavishly living life. Everything is good for him. He could have shaken off that bad news. You know, hashtag sucks to be you. These people in Jerusalem are struggling. They're almost a thousand miles away from him. He's in the palace. He's eating the same food as the king. He's watching the, the, the king's favorite TV shows on a 4K TV probably. Posting selfies. But he had a choice. He could, he could have pushed that away. I know a lot of people that push away stuff that makes them uncomfortable. Um, even even seeing it, maybe you're one of those people, you'll see something that you don't like, you'll see something with, um, you know, a, a news story about kids or something, and you, and you have to look away. You can't look at it. Like, you can't take it. One thing about Christians and the kingdom of God, we're the people who can take it. So if you're a person who's like, oh, no, that's too much for me. Um, uh, you're doing it wrong. Um, we're the people... Also, we're not the people who get offended by cuss words. We're the people who can handle anything. We're the people who can handle seeing anything, hearing anything, being in any place. That's the people we are. Because we're not alone. Everywhere we go, we have him with us. So why are we scared to go into any of these places? And so, Nehemiah's got a choice here. He could have pushed that pain away and said, oh, yikes, that was, that was kind of bigger than I, I bit off more than I could chew a little bit, you know. I'm going to get away. Uh, but he decides to, he chooses to let it in. He chooses to let the pain in. He chooses to let the heartache in. He chooses to let the sadness in. He chooses um, to let it in. I know so many people who have gone through different traumatic things or different painful things or different things where maybe they cause pain or whatever it is and they will run and they'll run to do 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 so they don't have to feel 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 and so they have to be surrounded by people a lot of times to fill every second of the day because they don't want to, or just a phone and staring at it and clicking so that you don't have to feel that pain so that you don't have to feel the thing that's hard step one you got to sit down and cry you got to let it in you got anything in your life that you're not letting in yet that you're just like I can't, I can't handle it and you're compartmentalizing it like oh, maybe I can do that you got to let it in here's the question what breaks your heart what breaks your heart The reason I'm asking is because the thing that was placed on my life, the the thing that was my holy discontent, I would say, the thing that continually bothered me uh, was church people who were not authentic. It's it's the call on my life to be transparent, to be honest, be real, uh, tell you all of my dumb things. because I just kept being turned off by people one after another who, I have discernment. Mm -hmm. I can tell a faker. And so, okay, if you have discernment and you actually want to go with this and Jesus is real and he's offering you a life to the full uh, and you don't want to be a faker, then what do you do? It's a discontent on my heart. And so I try to interact with people whenever I possibly can and just honestly just shock them that I'm a pastor. I try to avoid telling them for the longest time (laughs) because it does, it shuts down conversations really fast. And so I kind of have to get to a point where I'm like my foot's in the door and they can't close it yet. (laughs) Um, Just because they've had those experiences. You guys have had those experiences with people. Not cool. So what breaks your heart? That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see people chased away from church. The little subcategory of people right now are gay people for me. Um, I don't know what's going on with that, but God keeps bringing me new friends, and I'm, I'm getting to learn all kinds of stuff. You know what's fun? Actually being in a place where you can have a conversation and say, um, what do I say? What is a pronoun? Yeah, right. How do, uh, I'm sure I'm saying this wrong. And not getting in trouble. Not getting in trouble because you're their friend. <laughs> With no faking. And all of a sudden you can start to bring Jesus into the conversation. What breaks your heart? There's, I know someone who uh, grew up not able to read for most of their life, and they hit it, they hid it from people. Uh, maybe the thing that breaks your heart is kids who can't read. There are still kids who can't read in every, every school that is in this area. Kids who are pretending, kids who are, who are sliding by somehow. Maybe it's kids with special needs, maybe it's those kids who are getting bullied, or neglected or abused in some way. Maybe that's the thing that breaks your heart. Maybe the thing is um, people who are bound by addiction because you had people in your life. I had that break in my heart. Maybe it's homelessness or people who are being trafficked. Those who are impoverished without clean drinking water. I know those who you go to a place where they don't have water that is plumbed in somewhere, and they're drinking. My wife and I were in Kenya, and we watched them taking just any any garbage bottle they could find, and trash was piled 20 feet high. I don't know. We just were walking on all trash. And they would grab this, and it's just the, the most disgusting water, and they're giving it to their, to their kids, and it's just... And it's just a heartbreaking thing. I know some of you are called to speak on behalf of the unborn. Those who can't speak for themselves. That you want to be their voice. That's a holy discontent. What is it that breaks your heart? I remember being at a a church several years ago that... It wasn't it wasn't this church and I was I was helping with some type of an event and uh, the, the church volunteers turned a lady away at the door for some reason and I was trying to find out why they turned her away and I couldn't get a, a good answer but they they turned this lady away and I just could not I couldn't get over it and I tried to pretend like everything was fine but I remember driving home and just just crying. <laughs> Just thinking about that lady, that she, the door is closed right now. Uh, it might get opened back up, but man, we slammed the door on her. Step one, you sit down to cry. You let it in, you feel the pain, you embrace the burden. Don't worry about sitting down to cry. Worry if you're not sitting down to cry ever How do you begin the good work? You sit down to cry. The second one, step two, you got to kneel down to pray. You got to kneel down to pray. You sit down to cry. Hey, you're already sitting. Just go a little further down. Kneel down to pray. Nehemiah 1.4, it says, For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. If you're dealing with something in your life right now that's big enough to cry about, if it's big enough to cry about, it's definitely big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. You ever hear people say? I hear people say all the time, "When I guess all we can do now is pray." (laughs) Translation: You're screwed. (laughs) Is that what that's supposed to mean? Like, all all we can do now is pray. We're out of options. (laughs) Maybe you're like, I'm, but I'm only one person. What can I do? How I have things. I have stuff that bothers me that I'd love to do, but I'm only one person. What can I do? I don't know. Maybe invoke the God of heaven, the all-powerful God of heaven. <laughs> invoke him because God plus one is always the majority of whatever you're facing, whoever you're facing. Nehemiah 1 chapter, chapter 1, 5, and 6. This is Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. This isn't a, it's not a prayer about him and how things can get better for him. It's a prayer about other people that, God would hear it, that God would see what's going on, that God would know, that God would meet with his heart. And so he confesses his sins. He confesses the sins of his people. He reminds God of his promises, of his faithfulness. He goes before the king and he asks for permission to leave, to help go and rebuild with his people. It says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And this is uh, him praying to God about going to see the king. God, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Do you guys pray when you're going into any situations like that? Like, what about if you're heading into a a, a hot situation where there's about to be a fight? Where there's conflict, where there is, you know there's gonna be you're butting heads with something. Have you ever do you pray going into that? God, would you let us see eye to eye? Would you help us come to a resolution? Would you help us to love each other? Would you help us to just to be invoking God? Because what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. What you pray about reflects what you believe about God. If all your prayers are bless my food keep me safe help me have a good day that's fine it it reflects what you believe about God that that's all he's able to do help me get a good parking space (laughs) what about if you say God move Lord work Reveal your glory, God. I want you to grow me and stretch me and change me and empower me. Use me, God. What I love about Nehemiah is he's a a leadership genius. We're not going into all this stuff, but um, Nehemiah somehow is able to um, investigate what's going on. He finds out what's going on with his people and what's been going on. He investigates, then he goes and he casts a vision. He strategizes with people. He delegates jobs out. He faces the opposition. And all of this, he's only able to do all of these, ordinary. He's only able to do all of it because he is covered by an intense amount of intimate prayer with God. How do you begin the good work? You sit down to cry, you kneel down to pray. The third one, you stand up and act. Stand up and act. Tears turn into prayers. Prayers drive you to act. That's what they did with him. So Nehemiah ends up taking wine to the king and he has a a heavy heart that the king notices. The king notices something is going on with him. It says in verse 4 of chapter 2, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king, And this is something, you got to pray quick in your head sometimes. (laughs) Somebody asks you a question, this is what I love, what he's doing. He's not going, ugh, and just spitting something out. He's pausing, doing a quick prayer in his head, then responding. Another place in the Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, And I answered the king. said, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So that I can rebuild it. Basically, king, my my people are hurting. The walls are down around the city. The the city's completely exposed. Somebody's got to do something. And somebody should have done something for a long time and I don't know why they didn't and so I guess it might as well be me. I guess it might as well be me. Come as you are. Come as you are. We talk about it all the time if you're a person who thinks that uh, you got to get your stuff together before you can do something for the kingdom. um, All God ever uses are goons like us it's his it's his only plan there is no plan b it's us and no you can't do everything but you can do something you sit down to cry you kneel down to pray you stand up to act you don't have to be appointed by a man like you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be a leader of something. A group leader. You don't have to be a. You don't have to have taken a class or be certified in something. You don't have to be uh, appointed by man if you are called by God. Uh, I met a lady a long time ago named Ashley, who unfortunately had several miscarriages and also a stillborn baby. And just unbelievable tragedy. Uh, one of the things that they felt like happened during that time is um, that there was, a, there was a lack of dignity around what to do with, with these babies. And that um, it just seemed so, what do you do? What do you do? And so she started a ministry called Bridget's Cradles and what they do now is volunteers knit together these little cradles for stillborn and miscarried babies for families so that they can they can give them something that's an answer when you're in a spot where you just don't have any answers for anything and it's just a beautiful thing that ends up coming out of a tragedy We learned about a a 10 year old named Addison who was a part of one of our our mission trips to Kenya that she learned about another, a girl about her age named Maureen who didn't have access to clean drinking water. And uh, so for about two and a half years, um, she ran multiple, the 10 year old Addison ran multiple uh, half marathons um, collecting money, raising money to to sponsor her for these half marathons, and she raised over eighty thousand dollars, and uh, she was able to to roll it forward into um, permanent clean drinking water for over sixteen hundred kids in Kenya. It's <laughs> and it's a ten year old who's got a uh, she's got this thing on her going there's. There's something not right here. And I think I can do something. What 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 skills do I have? What am I gifted in? I can run. I can run. And so, what is it that you've had on your heart? What is it that bothers you? What is it that... And it could be the thing that you struggle with the most. It could be the thing that is that is just attacked you and your life more than any other thing i would probably look there first (laughs) we're over time let's pray god thank you thank you thank you for this place for these people for trusting us for trusting us with the things that you do it 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 blows us away Who am I that you are mindful of me? But you say, you call us beautiful. And that you know the number of hairs on our head. You know how we were knit together in our inmost being. And you call us sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with discomfort. Bless us with discomfort around the the stuff that's just easy and half-truths and superficial stuff, that we would be able to live deep within your heart. I want you to bless us with, honestly, bless us with anger towards injustice. Bless us with anger, righteous anger, uh, towards oppression, towards exploitation of people. God, so that we could help, so that we could help, so that we could do good work for justice and for freedom and for peace. God, I pray that you would bless us with tears, that we would be able to shed shed them for people who suffer from pain or from rejection or starvation or war or discrimination. God, I just pray that you would bless us with the foolishness to believe that we can do it. Bless us with the arrogance that your kingdom can bring because we know that we're not not alone. We're walking with the God of heaven. Lord, make us the people who can do the things that other people claim cannot be done. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. I really do. Um, and I hope to see you guys soon. You guys have a good week. For more information about Vineyard Westside, please visit vineyardwestside.com.